is the concluding talk in the three-part series on the Bible book of Ruth. We've been looking at the three main characters that are there in the book for us to learn from. Uh, Naomi was our first stopping point uh, two weeks ago, and last week we were considering Ruth. And this week we're going to be considering Boaz, and he's the great redeemer in the story that's recorded for us in the Bible, Book of Ruth. Just as a summary before we take a reading, the Book of Ruth um, shows us that not much has changed for people in this world in 3,000 years. That the trials and the struggles and the difficulties and the joys and uh, the happiness that people can experience and know in their lives is much the same now as it was back then because it was 3,000 years ago there or thereabouts that the incidents we're reading about um, happened. The book is there in the Bible for us to learn how to respond to life but in responding to life to respond to God who is sovereign over all things. What I think is interesting about the book of Ruth is that unlike so many other uh, books of the Bible there isn't anything of the, the great miracles and wonders that we have in other books. It's really gritty, down-to-earth, life experience that we're looking at and we're learning from. So the realities that we see in what we read together and the attitudes and the responses of people and the circumstances in which they live are very similar. That we will experience and other people in our world will experience today. We've been thinking that in the book of Ruth that we see a God who is always at work, whether he's acknowledged as being at work or not. And many people will fail to acknowledge God and to give thanks for him, which is Paul's summary of what it means to be a sinner in Romans 1, a failure to acknowledge God and to thank him for being at work. But we see in the book of Ruth that God is at work. It requires faith to accept that. But that faith, when it's exercised, then recognizes that God is in sovereign control of all things and he is honoring his promises ultimately and he has made promises which are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ for those who will exercise faith in him as saviour and as Lord and God has promised he has spoken his word and God is faithful to his word always so he is sovereignly working out his purposes that he said he will do so he's a God we can trust he's a God that we can trust and have hopefulness in even In a world where there is such uh, instability and nervousness and for some people such difficulty and lack of hope. He is a God in whom we can place our hope because he has proven himself and we see it in the book of Ruth. He has proven himself to be faithful to his word, sovereignly working to glorify himself, yes, and to bring good for people who will trust him. That's who God is and we find him absolutely reliable and trustworthy even when everything else around us might fall away. I've mentioned in each of the introductions so far, there's, there's a theme in the book which is about refugees, about people who've been displaced. And you think of Naomi with her family, uh, moving away from Bethlehem, the house of bread in time of famine, not honouring God's um, word that they should be faithful because he would be faithful to provide for his people. They move away. They're displaced. But in what happens, then the sons of Naomi and Elimelech, her husband, 
married to women from Moab, a place where God said, you're not to mix with those people. And Ruth, after the death of the two sons, therefore Ruth is one of the Moabite women, uh, she loses her husband. Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, the mother-in-law, he dies. They head back to Bethlehem because they hear that God has blessed his people. He has visited them. God has visited his people and provided for them. So they go back and Ruth from Moab clings to Naomi, her mother-in-law, because she sees in Naomi, I believe, a wonderful faith in God's faithfulness. And she comes back to a place, leaving behind everything she's known. And because she has a hope of a better life with the people of God and with the God that she's heard that Naomi has been speaking of. So the book is about refugees. There is that in there. I received an email this week from the Open Doors um, organization. Maybe you're subscribed to them as well. And on World Refugee Day, which was uh, last Monday, the 20th of June, uh, the UN issued fresh figures. The UNHCR, the uh, refugee agency, issued up-to-date figures looking back at 2015 as to the plight of people in our world. Refugees are described as people looking for hope, peace, <coughs> safety and security. Isn't that the case for everybody? We're looking for peace, we're looking for hope, we're looking for safety and we're looking for refuge. The figures there tell us that 24 people become refugees every minute currently in our world. That's a staggering figure when you think about it. In 2015, over 65 million people were either refugees or asylum seekers or were internally displaced within their own countries because of persecution. Record-breaking numbers. Never in the history of our world that's been recorded have we seen um, displaced peoples on such a scale. Half of the refugees come from three countries, Syria, Afghanistan and Somalia. And you know, those countries feature in um, the top ten watch list the Open Doors would or organise and keep a watch on where persecution for Christians is, a, is at its greatest. So many of these people that are fleeing are Christian people. A lot of them are indigenous uh, people as well who may have no faith, but others may be uh, Muslim, of course. There's people of all faiths who, because of what is happening in their countries, are wanting to get out, longing for hope, uh, for security, for peace and for prosperity somewhere else. And we were thinking last week of how Ruth is one of those people who comes to the people of God, to Bethlehem with Naomi. And she's welcomed. And through her, God does amazing things. God taking one individual that has eternal repercussions. And because she has a son with Boaz, and we're getting to him, who will be an ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The God who came to be with us to visit his people. So that he might rescue us from our lack of hope, our lack of security, and our fears. And he might bring us into the blessings of knowing him. So we were thinking last week of how people are coming into our communities. This um, that's happening in our world may be geographically quite far away from us. But as people make their way across Europe, they're coming into our communities. How do we as Christians respond to them? Maybe we learn from Boaz today how we should I'm going to say this at the outset. Boaz is one of the exemplary characters in all of scripture. Actually, there's very few like him. And he's a foreshadowing 
of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his infinite perfections. But we see Boaz in the book of Ruth here as a wonderful example of what it means to live a God-honoring life. And he foreshadows Christ, as we'll see in a moment. Let's take some readings. The readings are quite extensive, but that's so that we get the full measure of the man. And then we'll make a, a few points together. Learning from him as to how we are to respond practically as Christians, but also to see in him what God has done for us through the person of the Lord Jesus. So the book of Ruth in chapter 2, and we'll start at verse 1. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one, in whose sight I may find favour. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favour in your sight, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work, and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favour in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me, and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here, that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he served her roasted grain, and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servant, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not insult her. Also you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles, and leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. Down to chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz our kinsman, with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. It should be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. You shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. And she said to her, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. 
And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And it happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward. And behold, a woman was lying at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask, for my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now it is true I am a close relative, however. There is a relative closer than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you, as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold the close close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said turn aside friends sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. He took ten men of the elders of the city and said sit down here. So they sat down. And they said to the closest relative. So he said to the closest relative. Naomi who has come back from the land of Moab has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on the day that you buy the field from Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. Down to verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Limelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Mahlon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. Your witnesses today. And down to verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap. She became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram Aminadab, and to Aminadab was born Nashon, and to Nashon Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse David. Let's have a quick look then at Boaz. Our reading is long, but it's good. Let's have a quick look at Boaz. His name, some think, means in him is strength. Here's a strong man who comes into this wonderful piece of literature. And it really is, if you spend time with it, it's so well crafted under the Spirit's guidance by whoever wrote it. We don't know who wrote it. Now they bring, in chapter 2, they introduce this man into the 
destitute poverty and actually horrific circumstances that Naomi and Ruth find themselves in when they come back to Bethlehem. They have nothing, absolutely nothing. And in steps this man, the exemplary man, Boaz. What do we learn about him? Firstly, he's a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's deceased husband. He's not the closest of the relatives as we learn because there's another one. But he is a relative. And because of that, God had provided in his law. Because God had such a delight in giving the promised land to his people, the inheritance. He says, it's yours. Actually, it's mine, but you can be on it. This is mine, I'm giving it to you. And God had said to his people, you'll never move the boundary marks. Whenever the land has been divided up, what is a person's land is theirs. And there to enjoy my blessing in that place. Here we have a provision in the law where God says, if a man dies and there's no heir, or if a man becomes so poor that he cannot continue to um, use his land as he, would, as he should, then another member of the family can come in and can purchase the land to give to the poor person the money that's required for them to be able to survive but also for the person who's the recipient of this grace to then enjoy the benefits of the land until such time that they can pay back. It was a means of keeping the inheritance in the family. And for God, that was vitally important. So he had a provision in the law. The word in the Hebrew is goel. My Bible is translated a close relative. Some of the older versions of our Bible call it a kinsman redeemer. Kinsman being somebody of the same kin. And that's probably the best uh, use of the word more modern versions also use guardian redeemer but there's this obligation on someone who is related to step in where poverty or death threatens the inheritance being removed from the people to whom God has given it he said you'll step in and you'll do what is provided in the law but it will cost you so we learn that Boaz is a relative and therefore there is an obligation on him but actually, he's further down the line than the one who's closest. We read that, didn't we? What do we read about the man when he first appears in uh, chapter 2, verse 1? The second thing we learn about him, not only is he related uh, to Elimelech, and therefore some ways obligated by the law of God to preserve the name of Elimelech's family on the inheritance, but he's a wealthy man. You know, wealthy is a translation of the word which really means excellent. And I made this point last week that when uh, Boaz speaks to Ruth and says, all the people in the city know that you're a woman of excellence. It's the same word. They're, they're a match made in heaven. They are. She's excellent and he's excellent. And God brings them together to do something absolutely excellent with them. So they're excellent. He's excellent. He's obligated to be the kinsman redeemer, the goel, the one to, to buy back for the family and to preserve for the family the inheritance of God. He's wealthy. He's excellent. He has the means. He's capable. It says that Boaz went to the gate and sat down there. He does refer to others as the elders, but you get the sense that he's a man who has respect. But he himself honours the respect of others as he sits in the gate. He calls to the the one who is the closer kinsman redeemer, come and sit down. Then to the ten elders, come and sit down. And there seems to be that respectful sitting there where they have this uh, interaction to sort out who is going to be the one to redeem. Not just Naomi, 
not just to redeem the land, but also in the process to acquire Ruth so that a, a son might be raised up as an heir because that was also God's provision in the law. That the name of the one whose land it was originally, that their name would be preserved, then an heir must be raised up. So we see a man who's wealthy, he's excellent, and he has the capability, the means to do this, which is obligated on him. The third thing you notice with him, and this is what shines through it all, is that he's loyal and faithful to his God. It doesn't say it, but you have to assume it, that he has stayed in Bethlehem through the times of famine. He has been faithful to his God because God has said that you be faithful to me and I will be faithful to you. And another place in in our Bibles it says, those who honour me I will honour. And here's a man who has given his life to honour God. And he stayed put. And he is faithful to God. How do we see that? Because he doesn't do anything here to try and get around God's law. In fact, he will pursue the things that God has said should be done to the letter. He's honourable in the way he lives and for God. He's faithful to God, and in being faithful to God, he's faithful to God's people. He does what is right for the people of God. He's faithful to that inheritance that God has given to his people. That's important too, because the people had an inheritance, and he was faithful to that which was required there. He's faithful to what God has said in God's law. God had said, this is how you'll live, and he was faithful to it. Notice his faithfulness. Isn't it lovely to see him coming He gets up early in the morning. The people are out in the section of the field reaping. And what does he do? He doesn't lie in his bed. He gets up, gets himself sorted, and he goes out to the fields. And what does he say to them? May the Lord be with you. When's the last time you walked into work and said that? There's a challenge. The Lord was in it all. The Lord, the covenant-keeping God, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, may the Lord be with you, those who were the reapers. And what did it instigate? Their response isn't lovely. The Lord bless you. It brought in something that was just so beautiful, wasn't it? Entered keeping always the things of God in view meant that people were keeping God in view. And it wasn't about themselves. It was about the blessing that God would give that they would be thankful for. He says, I will redeem you to Ruth. You know that little experience when Uh, Naomi says, look, I want to secure your security, Ruth. You've been with Boaz through the whole of the, the reaping season. He can be the one to save us from our predicament. He's much older than you. But still you go. And you do what I say. And she does. And we have that in Ruth 3. And it says she creeps in at night. Boaz is with the people. We'll get to that in a moment. And she... She says to him, stretch your covering over me. That was a proposal of marriage. She was going and appealing, according to the law of God, take me, and in taking me, help Naomi, and preserve this inheritance that God has given to the family line into which I have come. Remember Boaz had said to her, you have come to take refuge under the wings of the Lord, the God of Israel. How could he refuse the appeal of someone who was coming? And he could see himself that he had the means. So he's honourable and faithful to God. He doesn't run away. 
He says, I will redeem you if the one closest does not. On the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, he said to the man who was a closer kinsman, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased and his inheritance. Boaz knew he would be going into a relationship where the firstborn would have the name of Mahlon, the son of Elimelech, and the line would be continued. This wasn't for personal gain at all. This was for the glory of God. Do you see it? He's just given over to living for the glory of God. The fourth thing is, you see this as well. I've touched on it already. He's one of the people. Isn't it wonderful to see it? Yes, he comes and he greets the reapers and they have respect for him. And there's that mutual love between them you get the sense of. And he's there with them at the mealtime. And so when he's there with the people, he's in touch with them. He's attentive and he's knowledgeable. And we know that. Because when he comes to the field, he notices somebody he hasn't seen before. And he says, whose young woman is this? So he knows his workers. He knows them. And then there's a new one. And he's also done his homework. Or he's heard because Naomi and Ruth have been the talk of the town. We've been there already, the end of Ruth chapter 1. And when he has the conversation with her and she says, why do you shower me with this grace? He says, all that you have done for your mother-in-law, the death of your husband, has been fully reported to me. He's been attentive to find out who this young woman is. And then when he sees her, he's not shy to say, I've heard all about you. He's attentive and knowledgeable. And the fifth thing, and I'm limited to five, though there are more, is he's so very kind and gracious and generous, isn't he? Not only does he invite the foreigner, the alien, the Moabites near. Did you notice that? Mealtime, he says, you, you come. She must have been sitting away from where the reapers were, feeling she had no place. He says, you come, you take your bread and you dip it in the vinegar. And not only that, he gives her roasted grain, that which he's been probably sharing with the reapers in his generosity. You come and you come to me. What kindness and generosity. But not only that, on his first encounter with her, he says, don't go and, well, it was the conversation around that time as well. Don't go and glean in another field. He says, you stay here. I've commanded my servants not to touch you. When you're thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. You know, that was never the privilege of the very poorest of the people whom God had provided for in the law. They're allowed to go around the edges of the field and pick up whatever scraps are left after the reapers have been through. They wouldn't avail themselves of the blessings that were there for the reapers who were the hired ones. They wouldn't dare go and take of the water. But here's Boaz. He says, you... You stay here. My servants will look after you. And you help yourself to the water. The bread and the vinegar at uh, mealtime and the roasted grain. says he gave her enough. So she was satisfied and she had some left over. And the section that we didn't read, I don't think, was she goes back to Naomi. And it says that he, she gave to her what she had left over. She took that roasted grain back. And it was enough to give some delight to her mother-in-law as well. What generosity, what grace, what love on the part of Boaz. And Ruth 3 verse 15 tells us there that after that nighttime encounter, and let's be very careful on this one. Some would say that there was sexual impropriety then. There wasn't anything of it at all. Don't read that in. There's no euphemism in the spreading of the cloak and the uncovering of the feet. It's not there. 
It was an appeal by Ruth to be taken as a bride by the Redeemer, the one who was capable. Let's not read anything more into it than that and the purity of what it is. But after that, as she gets up to leave in the morning, what does Boaz do? He says, you get your cloak. And he pours in six, six measures of barley. Now, it doesn't tell us what the measure is, but if it's an ephah, that's maybe up to 30 kilos. No wonder he has to help her with it to get it on her shoulders or wherever. And she goes back to Naomi. Here's the richness of the man. Don't go back to your mother and lie empty-handed. So she goes back. And Naomi at that moment must have thought, this man, yeah, he's going to do it. And she says it as much. You need to go and read that section for yourself. So you have those, those five things, just very quickly again. He's an obligated relative. He's a wealthy, generous, excellent man of renown. He's loyal and faithful to God. And all that, that means, faithfulness to God's people, faithfulness to God's inheritance, faithfulness to God's law. He's one of the people Attentive, knowledgeable. And that then means he's, he's loving, generous to his workers and generous to the outcast. In fact, going above and beyond what could be expected. Now there's a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus, is there not? Our God's obligated because there was no one in humanity who could resolve the problem of our sin. Our God obligated to come. I'm amazed at that. Since the children are sharers in flesh and blood, it says in Hebrews 2, he himself likewise partook of the same. Jesus came into humanity to be with us. So then the grace of God could come to us as sinners that our sins could be forgiven, that we could be brought into the inheritance of God to be in the people of God and to enjoy what it is to be God's people. Christ has become our kinsman, Redeemer, He's become like us, yet without sin. The capable one. Obligated to come and deal with the causes of humanity's pain and suffering and make possible the sins, the forgiveness of sins and the redemption that God would bring. I'm just going to read some verses to you that remind us of this. And then I want us very quickly to have a little touch on the lessons for us in this as to how we should live like Boaz. Romans 5 verse 6 says that while we were still helpless at the right time Christ died for the ungodly and God demonstrates his own love toward us in this and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. There's the cost of our redemption. 1 John 3 verse 5 you know that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin the capable one. So like us, but so different from us. God himself, who had come with the ability to redeem. The one who pleased God in everything. God would declare from heaven on a number of occasions, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The first of those occurrences, Matthew three seventeen. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. It's the sacrifice. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. The predicament we find ourselves in as sinners is greater than any poverty we'll know in this world. And Christ has come. Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
We're brought into the kingdom of God. Kingdom of the Son whom he loves. In whom we have redemption. It's in Christ that we have redemption. And what was the cost? Just think on it again. 1 Peter 1 verse 18. You were not redeemed with perishable things. It wasn't silver and gold. But with precious blood. As of a lamb unblemished and spotless. The blood of Christ. For our redemption the saviour gave himself. Went into death. Even though sinless. So that God might be satisfied. That God would be honoured. And that we could be saved. Titus 3 and 4. When the kindness of God our saviour. And his love for mankind appeared. He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds that we have done in righteousness. But according to his mercy. God steps in. He's done so with Ruth and Naomi. In the person of Boaz the capable one. Who could come and be the kinsman redeemer, honouring God in all things. He foreshadows Christ, of course. But what are the lessons for us then as Christians? I believe, in having spent time with it, we have to sense the obligation. As those who are, as one has said it, we're little Christs. As Christians, we bear the name of Christ. If Boaz foreshadows Christ in all his perfections and we carry the name of Christ as Christians, then we have an obligation to live in the way that honours God. An obligation because we are joined together in this mass of humanity to do that which is within our power to do by the grace of God. To bring hope, to bring peace, to bring prosperity, to bring love to other people. We're to be the means of God's grace impacting the lives of other people. Not just those refugees who will be moving into our community, but the very people we mix with every day. Who don't know the poverty of their situation and their sin. And we come with the great hope that is in Christ Jesus. Secondly, I believe we're to grasp the reality that our lives can be exemplary in our service as we would honour God. And that's only possible by the grace of God through the indwelling of the Spirit. We're empowered, (coughs) obligated as Christians to live for God in this world. Sent into it, in fact. We're obligated, but we're made capable through the indwelling of the Spirit of God, God himself, the power that comes. And we don't preach of ourselves. We preach of the cross and of the Savior and the power of God to save. We're to understand that faithfulness to God means faithfulness to the things that he said. That means we have to be faithful to his word. And when we're doing so, being faithful to him in the power that he provides, we're obligated to live for others and for God. It'll be a blessing to so many. We see in the book of Ruth how the actions of a few and the actions of one, Boaz, have eternal consequences or repercussions they're glorious they're not consequences I can't think of the more positive word blessings into eternity why because we have the start of a genealogy there at the end of Ruth 4 it goes way back to Judah it works its way through to David the great king who himself will have a promise from God that one of his descendants will sit forever on the throne the eternal son of God the king so faithfulness to God and to his word means that In one life, 
there will be eternal repercussions for God's glory. May that be so. For that to be the case, then we have to be people that relate well to others. The challenge to me this week is Boaz in there with the people. One of them in a sense, but yet they know he's different. He comes, may the Lord be with you. Try it tomorrow. Go in and say, the Lord bless us in our activity today. And we live for him. And all the time expressing genuine concern for people. That means we have to be attentive like Boaz was in listening to what he'd heard about Naomi and Ruth. Be attentive. We're quick to speak. Let's listen to people and respond with the grace and the love of God, which is the fifth and final point, that we're to be kindness and grace personified. Not a self-made kindness and grace, but the kindness and grace of God himself. Personified? Paul says we're to be like Christ. Welcoming the oppressed, the marginalized, the outcast, the destitute. Those in physical circumstances which are hopeless. But also those, everybody, in their spiritual circumstances. Who are so far from God. But yet he is the one who will welcome them. Are we challenged to do the same? To be like Boaz, to be like Christ. That's what God has saved us to be. At the end of his letter to Titus, Paul says, Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs, so that they will not be unfruitful. Let's pray. Our God, please, would you help us as we delight in the character Boaz, to delight then in the person of the Lord Jesus, because you've given Boaz to us to take us to Christ. And as we delight in Christ, our Saviour and our Redeemer, our God, please, will you Help us then with any resolves of heart to live faithfully like Christ and in our lives then to be a means by which your grace will come and touch people in the depravity of their sin and in the poverty of this world and its circumstances. We pray for people in such circumstances fleeing for their lives who have nothing and have left so much behind. Our God, we thank you for those who are working with them. We thank you that you're present. We thank you that you're impacting their lives. And we will pray for their salvation. We pray for the alleviation of their suffering. And help us, please, to play our part too in this great, wonderful story of your grace. Help us, we ask, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.